1974, a gallon of gas cost 55 cents. America's best-selling car was the Ford Pinto. Billboard's top single of 74 was Barbara Streisand's The Way We Were. The top-grossing movie of 1974 was Blazing Saddles, and the top-rated TV show was All in the Family. The point being, a lot has changed since 1974. But one constant, at least until now, has been Vermont Senator Patrick Leahy. Now, after nearly half a century, the Dean of the Senate is leaving office. We're talking about Leahy's career, his achievements, and his legacy this week on the WCAX Election Podcast. We're here with Chris Graff, longtime journalist, former Vermont Bureau Chief for the Associated Press. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Chris. My pleasure, Brett. Today we're talking about the legacy of Senator Patrick Leahy. Senator Leahy was elected in 1974. Uh, we weren't there. Uh, can you describe what America was like at that time and what the political climate in Vermont was like? Oh, gosh, yes. Um, I was there. Uh, <laughs> and I tell you, uh, what you have to understand about Vermont at, in 1974 was it was a completely Republican state at that time. Yes, there was a Democratic governor, but uh, for a hundred years before Pat Leahy's election, we had only sent Republicans to the U.S. Senate, um, never a Democrat. And this was the year of Watergate, 1974, um, when the campaign began. Richard Nixon was still the president. He did resign in August of that year. Um, and when, um, you know, Senator Leahy was elected, Gerald Ford was the president. So that's how far back we're talking about the Nixon and Ford presidencies. We're talking about a time of incredible distrust with government in America, much like today. But, you know, now it almost seems uh, naive how we were, um, you know, because Nixon uh, came across as a crook. He was impeached, um, did not removed from office because he resigned before the Senate could remove him. But that was uh, what America was like in 1974. We know that, of course, he was a, a prosecutor prying, prior to be elected as a senator. Um, what was Leahy's background uh, at the time? Well, he was very young. Start from that point. Um, you know, when he was elected, he was 33 years old. Um, he liked to say, he might have said this on election night, but I know he said it uh, many times since, that he was three things, uh, three strikes against him when he ran for the U.S. Senate in 1974. He was 33 years old, he was a Catholic, and he was a Democrat. <laughs> and based on that, no one expected him to win. But what he was was just perfectly placed for the time. Um, he was the Chittman County State's Attorney, in a time in which much of Vermont watched WCAX. Uh, CX was really the only Vermont television news station, and Pat Leahy got tremendous amount of uh, airtime on CAX. He knew how to use the press. He was incredibly media savvy. So he was actually well known as the Chittman County state's attorney and he had a you know reputation as sort of a top cop type of guy um, which helped him as a democrat to be uh, seen as strong on crime um, he was also 
uh, charismatic in a Kennedy sense of way that Vermont had not seen except for two candidates for governor, Phil Hoff and Tom Salmon um, over the years. Uh, Senator Leahy campaigned um, in that 1974 race where he sort of flung his jacket over his shoulder and he walked everywhere and, uh, um, uh, you know, door to door, um, really emphasizing uh, that he was uh, completely open and transparent in a time of cynicism and distrust for government. He posted his campaign finance donations at his campaign headquarters, something that was unheard of at the time. We have campaign finance disclosure now. That was uh, not the case then. So he, uh, every donation went up on his wall so that people could uh, look at it. So that was the image that he had at the time. Um, he was running against the incumbent congressman, a very respected Republican named Dick Mallory. Uh, Dick Mallory had been in the Dean Davis administration. He'd been both in the uh, Vermont House as Speaker of the House. He'd been in the state Senate. He'd been Secretary of Administration in the Davis administration. He was expected to win that election. And matter of fact, five days before the election, the Rutland Herald ran a big headline that said, Poll Dooms Leahy. Um, so uh, on election night, it was expected that Dick Mallory would be the winner. We think of Senator Leahy as this senior senator, the dean. Uh, but what were the early years like when he was elected? Was there a learning curve or any stumbling blocks that, that stand out? Yeah, there the was a real. Yeah, Brett, great, great question, because we do think of Senator Leahy now as you know, the seasoned senator you know, who's the dean of the Senate. But when he was first elected, you know, he was very young. He was uh, also. Uh, new to to the legislature. He'd not served in the Vermont legislature, for instance. He'd been a prosecutor. Um, and he had trouble uh, catching on right away. You know, we think of him as winning elections with no opponents now. But when he ran the first two times, um, so 1974, he didn't get a majority of the vote. Um, hmm. When he, and, and by the way, he won the plurality because Bernie Sanders was the Liberty Union candidate and got 4% <laughs> of the vote. So that allowed uh, uh, Senator Leahy to, to win. Wow. Um, 1980, when Senator Leahy first ran, ran for reelection, he also did not win a majority vote. Uh, Stuart Ledbetter, who was the father of the WPTZ uh, newsman, Stuart Ledbetter, uh, ran and nearly won that election. By the time Senator Leahy ran for the third time, he ran against uh, former governor at the time, Richard Snelling, and he blew him out of the water. And that was sort of um, the beginning of what we now uh, expect from Senator Leahy, which is winning overwhelmingly. 50 years in the Senate, that's a lot of legislation, a lot of bills. Of course, we don't have the time to talk about all of them, but we wanted to briefly ask about some of the big ones. Um, clean water funding. Um, can you speak to the significance of, of you know, Senator Leahy and uh, clean water funding here in, in Vermont? Well, you know, it's really been interesting over the years to watch uh, Senator Leahy 
um, and his uh, voting record um, because he has grown to um, uh, really become the author of some major legislation. Um, and that wasn't necessarily true at the beginning. And of course, there were a lot of times uh, before he got seniority and committee chairmanships uh, before that uh, you know, began to happen. But we, we saw him really develop um, areas of expertise in, in a number of areas where he became very effective. Um, and as you're mentioning, one of them is in the environment. Uh, he was seen as a real leader on conservation and environmental issues. Um, a lot of that's, a lot of those, and this is why we learned so much about it, was because it was very important to Vermont. So a lot of what we saw him promote was his work that was very Vermont facing. For instance, you know, he was the chairman or vice uh, chairman or, or ranking member of the Senate Agriculture Committee for, you know, uh, I think 10 years, 87 to 97. Um, and he really emphasized farm issues and he emphasized environmental issues in, in the Senate. Um, we saw him uh, develop a reputation for economic development helping in Vermont uh, on, a, on a lot of rural development uh, programs. What's interesting is the things we did not really, I think, focus on as much. Um, and perhaps the senator in his office did not emphasize them as much um, during the time because it wasn't as much about Vermont. But he played an, a very critical role um, in a lot of foreign affairs uh, issues. Um, he, uh, he was the author uh, of um, a law that actually bears his name. It's the Leahy Law, which bars U.S. foreign aid support to units of foreign militaries that violate human rights. It is sort of the leading uh, law in the, uh, that, that uh, gives, gives the United States power um, over uh, sanctioning human rights uh, abuses. Uh, there was the Leahy War Victims Fund, which provides medical assistance to victims of unexploded ordinances. And uh, we, we know a little more about his uh, longtime um, relationship and building relations with Cuba, um, which we saw uh, then during the Obama administration when relations were opened. But he'd worked on that for a long, long time. And his efforts on landmines. Uh, you know, he, he led efforts to, uh, that, that actually led to an international treaty to ban landmines. Land so when you sort of look at what he's done, he has a very broad imprint on legislation, not just in, in the environment, not just in job creation. There are other areas, too. You know, he's very active in civil rights, and uh, I know that... Um, we as, as journalists uh, are aware, but maybe others aren't, that he was one of the longtime proponents of legislation to strengthen the Freedom of Information Act. Um, and matter of fact, he's an inductee into the FOIA Hall of Fame. Um, he's won a lot of press freedom awards. So I think you've seen him have a broad imprint uh, in legislation 
uh, from his perch in the Senate. Uh, another topic we wanted to hit, Leahy's been called the godfather of organic. How did he earn that honorific? Well, I, I think that's true. Um, he and uh, I, I don't know about the godfather part of it, but I, he's really been a leader in that area. And I think this goes back to we've seen him really work hard as uh, when he was chairman and ranking member of the Senate agriculture. So that committee is formally named the Senate Agriculture, Nutrition and Forestry Committee. And I think under Senator Leahy's leadership, you saw it take a much more active role in nutrition. It used to, before he took over, just focus on the ag bill and you know, dairy price supports and things like that. But he became much more active uh, using that committee uh, in the area of nutrition. And so you saw him uh, leading the effort for national organic standards and labeling. Um, you saw him, um, you know, uh, I, I think it's fair to say he helped really create the farm to school program uh, that we see in, in, in many, um, th th that has now really helped farmers and, and helped school nutrition. Um, so, uh, a lot of that came from the work in the Senate Agriculture Committee. And, you know, that, that sort of, Vermont always expected to have someone sitting on the Senate Agriculture Committee. And that's sort of the first thing that Senator uh, Leahy did. And, you know, Senator Jeffords was there too. Um, at different times they were there, but they made sure that everybody's, that Vermont's farmers uh, were not forgotten. Um, in later years, you saw Senator Leahy take more of a role outside of agriculture uh, with, you know, the Senate Appropriations Committee. Um, and uh, of course, he was on Senate Judiciary that whole time, too. Let's talk pork, right? When it, it comes to bringing home the bacon, uh, Senator Leahy, he is, <laughs> is a uh, Hall of Famer. Is there a way yes, to is. quantify how much money the senator has brought into the state over the years for various projects uh, of, of all types? Well, Calvin, I mean, it's a fascinating question, and I'll bet somewhere there's like someone will someday um, do a, a master's thesis on trying to figure out what that number was. Uh, I, I'm surprised that the Leahy folks haven't put an intern on that project so that they could tell us what the number adds up to. Um, it's in the billions. I, I think many, many billions of dollars. Um, you know, just in COVID relief bills, um, Tropical Storm Irene, you know, I think that, I think Tropical Storm Irene, it was half a billion, it was $500 million. So I think that you're, um, the most important thing you can do as a senator is bring home the bacon. And Leahy, as the senior member of the Senate and as the chairman of the Appropriations Committee, uh, has been in a unique position to do that. Um, I think that, um, that where he has helped, um, and we saw before he was chair of Senate Appropriations, this is something that Senator Stafford used to work on and Senator Jeffords as well, the so-called small state minimum, 
because if you're a state like Vermont, you usually don't get much. But if there's a minimum set amount in a piece of legislation, then you usually get a per capita amount that is far greater than what you should get under the national share. And Senator Leahy was a master at making sure the small state minimums got into every necessary piece of legislation. So it, it um, you know, if you took all the money that he has uh, earmarked or, or sent Vermont's way over the years and included the money for, you know, that he got for Lake Champlain, uh, the National Forest, um, it's, it's tens of billions, who knows, it could be a hundred billion if you're looking over 50 years. And of course that you mentioned the small state minimum, that money is still playing out right now with all of the COVID funding from the American Rescue Plan, from the CARES Act, um, the infrastructure bill and others. It is. And uh, I think that's what, you know, the small state, there, there are enough small state senators that this will probably um, stay on past Senator Leahy. But, you know, the question people have been asking for the last 10 years when sort of you we all started saying, well, at some point, Senator Leahy has to retire, um, is what happens after he is gone. Um, and I think you're seeing some, um, and I have no basis to say this, but I think you've been seeing some extra earmarks this year as Senator Leahy sort of knows, well, I'm not going to be here next year. Let's see what I can do to help X and Y and Z um, over time. Vermont is helped by Senator um, Sanders, of course, having uh, a very important position as uh, chairman of the Budget Committee um, and 31 years you know, seniority in the House and the Senate. But um, the Budget Committee is not as important as the Appropriations Committee when it comes to actually appropriating those earmarks and making sure the money is there. A uh, 50-year career doesn't come without criticism. What, what would Leahy's critics say about his time in office? Well, I, I think that um, the critics would probably uh, be mostly Republicans. Um, he has been very partisan at times. Uh, if you look back over his career, um, he stood up... Um, against George W. Bush many, many times in the uh, George W. Bush administration, um, whether it was over the Iraq war or whether it was over the response to uh, 9-11. Um, so I, I think that, um, and, and you have to remember, remember that um, Dick Cheney, then the vice president, had a very famous moment uh, on the Senate floor uh, where he told, uh, said an expletive to Senator Leahy. Um, I think that's sort of the level of, um, um, of opposition that, that is voiced by a, a number of Republicans. So I think you will see a lot of uh, the criticism coming from Republicans over, over the years. I, I think that if you look at Senator Leahy's role, for instance, as the leader in um, the Senate Judiciary Committee and the appointments to the U.S. Supreme Court, at times he has taken a very uh, loud, outspoken role in opposition to president's nominees, uh, um, not always on the Republican side, but you know, no one in the Senate has 
as his uh, tenure. He has voted on, not for, but on every on the confirmation of every member of the current Supreme Court, um, and then several members before that who have since retired. Over time, you build up you know, that um, criticism from the people that you were voting against. So I'm sure that um, there is, as you say, Brett, uh, a lot of criticism that has been amassed over 50 years of taking stands. And ultimately, as Senator Leahy hangs up his hat on a career spanning almost half a century, what do you see his legacy both nationally and here in Vermont? What do you see that legacy being? Well, uh, it's at several levels. Um, Senator Leahy is absolutely assured a place in the history books, both for Vermont and the nation. Um, for Vermont, his place is assured simply by the fact that he was the first Democrat elected to the U.S. Senate from Vermont, and he is the longest-serving senator in Vermont history of 48 years. He uh, easily surpassed George Aiken's 34 years. Um, for the nation, still that statistic, he's the third largest, the third longest serving senator of all time after uh, Senator Byrd and Senator Inouye. Um, he's twice been the president pro tem. So I think that those will always exist as his legacy. Uh, he'll be in the history books for that. I think, though, um, that uh, there is a broader imprint for his legacy, both for Vermont and the nation. Um, and a lot of that is simply because of what he could do because of seniority. You know, the Senate is a body where seniority matters. And the more senior you are, the more power you are. So if you're the most senior senator, you have the most power. I think that a Senate majority leader probably is the only person with more power in the Senate than um, the dean, than Senator Leahy. And that's especially true if you're on the Appropriations Committee. Uh, you know, we don't have a real good way to judge effectiveness of a U.S. Senator. We sort of look at them, um, I think when we're making election decisions, we, we vote often on their personality and, and what we think of them and things like that. But I, I think of really three ways that you sort of judge a U.S. Senator or a U.S. Congressperson. Um, one, are they effective at con constituent service? Um, two, uh, as you were saying, Calvin, you know, can they bring home the bacon? You know, what's their home state clout? Uh, and three, is their legislative record? And then I guess over, over all of that is, is sort of a, a general leadership thing. And I think Senator Leahy's uh, hit all three. His office was absolutely the best ever on constituent service. If you had a problem getting your federal check or needed something or your passport was delayed, his office would deal with it. Um, we know for a fact that he brought home the bacon. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and his legislative record is, is broad and uh, impactful. As we as we're talking about, um, you know, not only on domestic affairs, environmental affairs, but also in foreign affairs. Um, so I, I think he's had quite an impact. Uh, and a lot of that truly comes from sort of amassing what you can in the Senate over 48 years. Tremendous. Thank you so much for being with us, Chris. 
Thank you, Brett. The WCAX Election Podcast is sponsored by Homeport, a locally owned and operated business on the Church Street Marketplace with four floors full of everything you might need to make your house a home. Welcome back to the WCAX Election Podcast. Brent Miller here. Efforts were made to get an interview with Senator Leahy for this podcast. To this point, we have not been able to nail him down. But what I do have for you in this bonus episode are victory speeches from election night. First, you'll hear from Senator Leahy, who introduces Senator-elect Welch. Editor's note, I did cut out a minute or two where Welch's entire family files up onto the riser. After that, you'll hear from Congresswoman-elect Becca Ballant. The very beginning of her speech is cut off where she acknowledges Senator Bernie Sanders. And finally, you'll hear from Governor Phil Scott, who won another term defeating Democrat Brenda Siegel. Here we go. Thank you. Thank you. You know, Marcel and I got a kick out of hearing, uh, hearing trucking. Uh, because that's become something we played every one of my elections on election night. I think the first time they thought maybe play it because I may be trucking out of there because I wasn't supposed to win. But it has been so wonderful to do it. Marcel and I have enjoyed all these years seeing all of you here. And back a couple months ago, come on. I'm not going anywhere. Oh, okay. Good. The, uh, after, after a month in the hospital with Marcel taking care of me, teaching me how to walk again, I'm glad she's here. But uh, about two or three years ago, we started thinking about where, where this is going, what would be the legacy. I felt, one, it was time we wanted to go. Uh, we figured up between primaries and general elections, state's attorney and senate. I've been on the ballot in Vermont 24 times, and that should be enough for most people. <laughs> and, uh, and so we made up our mind, as I announced a year ago, that we're going to go home and be back home, have more time with children and grandchildren. But I also saw the way the country is going. And I, this is not a, a plug, but I wrote a book just to finish a couple of months ago called The Path Taken. And I've talked about the downward arc of much of what we've counted on, both Republicans and Democrats in the U.S. Senate, and how badly it's gone. And I worried about that for the future. We saw on January 6th an example of the worst aspect of that. The one thing that gave me uh, hope at all during this time is watching who would be the next senator. I'm not, I don't want somebody to be a rubber stamp or be a, a duplicate. I want somebody to have Vermont values. Peter Welch has those values and he's our next senator. <laughs> Every... 
I was telling Peter earlier this evening, every time during these past few months, the senators, whether they're running for re-election or just watching elections, have asked me, what is Peter Welch like? I said, you could not ask for a better senator. I don't care what party you're in. You couldn't ask for a better senator because he has the true value, as I pointed out in the book and as I learned. He keeps his word. You can trust him. He cares about our state of Vermont. Now, I got to admit, my first campaign was called the Children's Crusade. We had all these young volunteers, including this young new attorney down the far western, uh, our eastern side of the state, rather, in Windsor County, called Peter Welch. Look who Peter Welch is. Every single one of you on January 3rd at noon, when Peter stands there and takes the oath of office, you could say, Vermont, all of us, we're in good hands. A lot of states aren't going to be able to say that. Vermont can. Vermont can say, but Peter won't. So, Marcel and I want to welcome Peter and Margaret up here. This is our future. so much. I, first of all, I want to thank my wife, Margaret. Oh, she's done. And these are, like, everybody behind me is the big Irish family and friends. <laughs> They have only begun to misbehave. <laughs> and I want to thank uh, Ryan McLaren, my campaign manager. <laughs> and Ryan, I want to thank you and our whole campaign staff, which is the best in the entire country. And I do also want to thank, again, and I can't stop thanking him enough, Patrick Leahy and his wife, Marcel. 48 years of service with integrity, with honesty, with standing up for democracy every single day of those 48 years. Patrick and Marcel, thank you so much. <clears throat> And Bernie Sanders, my partner for 16 years. Bernie was so shy and so holding back that it took him one hour to endorse me after I announced. <laughs> Bernie, thank you very much for that endorsement. You know, it's, it, it, it's, a, it's an extraordinary time in our democracy. We know that. We're excited about the outcome of the election here for the U.S. Senate. 
But this election is in the shadow of what happened on January 6th. And as we are here today celebrating this moment, there's votes being cast, there's votes being counted, but it's uncertain whether all election results will be accepted. And I was there when the Capitol was attacked and the shot was fired and the doors were broken down. And everyone was dismayed because this election, unlike any other election, has democracy right front and center on the ballot. And our mission here in Vermont is to restore and defend and protect the democracy that we value so much in this small state. You know, so a, a lot of people have asked me, Peter, you know, how do you do it? Or how can we all do it after what happened on January 6th? And you know, the answer to that, we don't pick the times we're in. We don't pick the challenges those times present. The choice we make is to face those challenges, whatever they may be. That's what we do. And you know, I have so much confidence that we Vermonters will do that again. And our example will be a beacon of hope for the rest of the country. Look at our history. No, look at our collective history. This is all of us. Ours was the first state, the first state in its constitution to ban slavery. And when our country was riven by the Civil War, it was Vermonters more than any other by population who enlisted in the union cause to save our union and to ban and abolish slavery. And in the midst of that, with all those challenges, it was a predecessor of Patrick Leahy, Justin Morrill, who created the land-grant college where there was a fundamental commitment to the educational opportunity of everyday people, Vermonters who wanted to get ahead. <clears throat> And you know, when it came to the question of whether every citizen should have the opportunity to marry the person that that person loves, it was the Vermont General Assembly with Republicans and Democrats who said the law of this state is you have the right to marry the person you love. And even fast for Patrick Leahy, preceded by George Aiken, who said it all when he said about Vietnam, a war that was misguided, was tearing our country apart, causing heartbreak and loss of life, said we should declare victory and come home. <clears throat> and who was the senator that succeeded him and cast his first vote to end funding for the Vietnam War? That was Patrick Leahy. So what we've seen in our history is that we don't pick the problems, we face the problems. And you know, some folks think it's like a farmer farms in the weather that the farmer wants. No way, it's the weather you have. 
and it's the problems we have. And a big problem and a challenge we face is democracy, and we are going to face it. And you know what's also special about Vermont? It's the way we do democracy. It's the small d democracy. It's mutual respect. It's humility that understands that a person that you disagree with, maybe even vehemently, is most likely guided by the same aspiration you have to make this a better state. We understand that listening is more important than talking. And that by having an approach where we seek the common ground for the common good, we can make a better and more just society. So I got to tell you, <clears throat> I am so excited about the challenges ahead and how we can face them. And I'm looking forward to doing that with who I know will be our next member of Congress, Becca Ballant, the first woman to represent us in Congress. And Becca and Bernie and I are going to be there in the way all Vermonters want to be there. We know that this state that fought for marriage equality, we know that this state that stood up to Joe McCarthy when he was trying to take away our civil liberties, we know that this state that banned slavery in its original constitutional document, we know that this state offers America hope for the future. And with the Vermont way, we can be successful and face the challenges that are before us. And I am so excited to be your representative in the United States Senate to take those Vermont values to Washington. Thank you. giant of the Senate, Patrick Leahy, of course, as we know, unparalleled service to Vermont. We've got Peter Welch, who has been a mentor and a friend to me, who's going to help me succeed in the House. Yeah, he is. And of course, Bernie Sanders, who's been uh, the conscience of the nation, and I was so so honored to have his support. It really gave us so much energy in the home stretch. So thank you to all of those men who have served us so well. I can't wait to be a colleague with the senior and junior senator from Vermont. Thank you. So I'm, I'm standing here with my family and my team because tonight, we reaffirm that Vermont 
And the nation is still a place where anything is possible. We, we are all still capable of change and promise and progress. And tonight, after 231 years, Vermonters are sending a woman to Congress. Thank you. So, so thank you to my incredible campaign team for hard work and hustle and commitment and joy, so much joy. I know everybody says this, but it's true, the best campaign team in politics. I thank you. Thank you for your deep commitment to Vermont and to this movement, this movement of so many people here in Vermont. I wanna thank also my incredible campaign manager, Natalie Silver. As, as Natalie and I like to say, we're, we're two scrappy little broads, watch out. <laughs> And I wanna just thank most sincerely my, my close friend and advisor, Julia Barnes. So Julia Barnes, I thank you for believing in me and for helping me to believe that it was possible for us to do this incredible thing together. Thank you. Thank you. And of course, thank you so much to my family, to my parents, to my siblings, to my extended family, but most of all, to my spouse, Elizabeth, and our two kids, Abe and Sarah, who are with me tonight. We, we always said in our family that running for Congress was really a family project. It's not just about one person. And it really is, it is, is a project. And the three of us have made, three of you, excuse me. Um, there are actually four of us, yes. You can tell it's been a year, I'm a little tired. Um, the three of you have made incredible sacrifices to get me to this place and being in politics is incredibly lonely at times. It's really lonely. But it's not work that's done alone. It's done in a team, and we are a very tight team in this family. Team Ballant Wall, you are my rock, you are my refuge. I honestly could not be here without you. So thank you. So, I have said over and over on this campaign that this is a time for courage. I know, I know so many of us feel like these are such dark times and it's so easy to be cynical about politics. But if we, those of us on the stage, if we had believed the conventional wisdom, 
if we had believed that change was impossible, I would not be standing here tonight. So take note and take heart. Vermont is a place where kindness and integrity and courage matter. Vermont is a place where the daughter of an immigrant dad and a working class mom can be the first woman and the first gay person to represent Vermont in the US House of Representatives. So there are so, so many brave women leaders who gave me the courage and the hope over my lifetime to do this. And those strong women who have come before me have helped me to feel like I could possibly have a life in politics. And you know some of their names. They're incredible women like Shirley Chisholm and Ann Richards and Bella Abzug and Geraldine Ferraro and someone you may not have heard of, but whose name I need to bring into the room tonight. Her name was Elaine Noble. She was the first openly gay person to run for a legislature in the United States. It was 1975, it was Massachusetts State House. She experienced so much hatred and discrimination. And when I learned of her race and her victory, there was this little part of me that thought maybe, maybe, maybe someday. She's still alive and I just want us to remember that it's people like Elaine Noble who did this at a time when it was incredibly dangerous to do so that enabled me to run today. Another, another hero of mine is Congresswoman Barbara Jordan, who I know many of you know. She was the first black woman elected to the Texas Senate and the first black woman who was elected from the South to represent uh, in the US House of Representatives. She said this of our nation, we are a people in a quandary about the present. We are a people in search of our future. We are a people in search of a national community. That is still true now. We are a people in search of a national community. I've been all over the state during this campaign. Everywhere I go, every town, every meet and greet, somebody will say to me, Becca, I don't wanna hate my neighbors. I don't wanna fear my neighbors. I want to live in a community where we can talk to each other again. So if you feel this way in this crowd, you're not the only one feeling that way. Thousands of Vermonters are feeling that way, and I know thousands of people across the country are feeling this way. We cannot continue to demonize each other. We have to stop and really see each other, see how much we share, even when we disagree, even when we hear hateful words. Every parent, regardless of their political party, worries about their 
kids' futures. Every working family right now is anxious and uncertain about how they're going to make ends meet. We're all afraid for the planet, all of us. We're afraid for the freedoms that we hold dear. And those fears are justified. And I know Congressman Welch spoke to this earlier. Oh, Senator-elect. <laughs> Senator-elect. <laughs> so so as, as Senator-elect Welch said earlier, we know what's at stake. It's not just the next two years. This is going to take a long time to right this ship. We got to dig deep. We got to find our courage. We have to find our strength. We have to lift each other up. Because even if we get good news in the midterms, the work is not over. We have a democracy to save. So, so yes, yes, this is a time for great courage. It's a time for leaders who are courageous enough to say that our politics do not work for regular people. This is a time for leaders to fight as hard for other people's right to vote as they fight for their reelection. This is a time for us to end the politics that fuel corporate greed. This is a time for us to rebuild the middle class and bring us together. This is a time to say that affordable health care and stable housing for all will make us a stronger nation, not a weaker one. But, but most of all, my challenge, your challenge, the challenge of all of us is to have the everyday courage that will knit us back together as a nation. We have to listen truly to each other even when we disagree. Not so that we can just argue, but so we can truly understand where somebody is coming from. Let's have the courage to listen with compassion but to also speak with conviction. Let's have also the courage to know what's non-negotiable. And let's have the courage to know when we're actually wrong and we need to change our view. That takes real courage. So a lot of Vermonters ask me why I still have hope. Why am I running for Congress at this time? I feel so dark. Why do I see the light despite all the obstacles? I'm hopeful because of people who came before me, like Shirley Chisholm and Bella Abzug. I'm hopeful because of Ann Richards and Geraldine Ferraro and Barbara Jordan and Elaine Noble. I'm hopeful because those courageous leaders made it possible for me to be here tonight. Oh, yeah. And honestly, I'm hopeful because I never thought I'd be standing here. Really. It was a pipe dream. I didn't know anyone in politics. My parents didn't know anyone in politics. 
It seemed like such a strange notion to think I could run for office someday. But we did it. We did it because of thousands and thousands of Vermonters who stood with us, gave us five bucks, 10 bucks, 15 bucks, made thousands and thousands of calls. I think we made 535,000 calls. And we, we knocked on thousands of doors and we believed that we could reject cynicism and believe in each other and believe in a grassroots movement that could be fierce and joyful. I ran for the Wyndham County Senate seat for the first time because I refused to accept that the richest nation in the world, that the richest nation in the world could not take care of working families, could not house them, could not feed them, could not give them health care. I had kids in my own classroom who I know were, were living in tents or in cars, whose parents were struggling with addiction. I still believe that we have to turn towards each other in our communities that's how, that's how we're gonna find our way through for each other and for our communities. When we started out in this race, we were down in the polls. We didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have a lot of endorsements, but we never stopped believing that if we pulled people together and ran an authentic, genuine race where people could see what I was about, that they would come to us because they wanted something different. This campaign has proved that incredible power of connection. We are craving it. We're a nation that is fraught with loneliness and disconnection. This campaign renewed my hope in the power and the spirit that comes from truly seeing one another and listening deeply and being joyful together. I know that Vermonters believe that politics can be different. That's why we won. That's why we won. I give you give you my word tonight that I will not back down from hard fights in Washington. I will carry your hopes and your wishes and your stories with me. I will stay rooted in our communities here in Vermont and I will work for our most vulnerable neighbors every single day. Thank you. And I will do this, I will be able to do this because I know you will be standing with me. This past month has been incredible. People stopping me at the store, at the bank, at the post office saying, we're with you, you're going down, you're doing this hard thing. Thank goodness you wanna do it because I don't wanna do it. I heard that more and more and more. Or what's wrong with you? Or you're too tiny to do it, all the things. I heard all the things. But I will be able to do it because of the belief you've had in this campaign. You believe in this movement because we're fighting for climate action. 
We're fighting for universal health care. We're fighting for livable wages, for reproductive rights, for the safety of our trans and queer neighbors, for racial equity, for common sense gun laws, for families across the state who want a better life for their kids and grandkids, for a nation finally as good as its promise. So, so please, please have courage, stand firm, be compassionate, find hope and nurture it. We need this of each other. Our nation depends on this. Our future depends on this. We must give each other the courage to do all of this important work together. Thank you. And Tori, uh, thanks so much for that introduction. Um, that's a future leader right there. So uh, thanks very much for everything you've done for me uh, over the last few months. First of all, I want to thank the people of Vermont for their faith in me. And I also want to thank all those who stepped up across the state to run for office, win or lose. As I know all too well, it's not easy to put yourself out there but so important for our democracy. So I want to thank my opponent, Brenda, and every candidate for giving voters a choice and helping to demonstrate the importance and integrity of this peaceful process. Before I go any further, I want to thank my family, my wife, Diana, my daughters, Eric and Rachel, my uh, niece, Hillary, uh, who are here tonight, and my mom. And uh, because I'm sure she's watching right now from Florida. So if everybody could just say, hi, Mom. Thank you. Hi, Mom. I also want to thank all my friends, staff, and volunteers who have helped me over the years. I wouldn't be here today without your support. I've been fortunate. You know, over the years, you probably heard, I've won my share of stock car races. And when I was in Victory Lane, I was the one who got all the accolades. But I'd remind them, it wasn't just me. I wouldn't have won without my crew putting in the long hours, the hard work to get the setup right, so I'd have a car that it could win. So the same goes for my current job. I've been so blessed to have such a talented group of people around me, my cabinet, staff, many of them here tonight, and supporters like you. Everything we've accomplished over the last six years is a result of our work together. I'm very proud of the progress we've made, but there's still a lot more work to do. I was reminded of that yesterday during our traditional 14-county tour, the day before the election visiting every single county, more than 500 miles in one day, always puts things into perspective. It reinforces what we know, just how beautiful our state is and how much it has to offer. But it also reminds us how much work there is to do. 
in order to make sure every family in every county in every corner of our state has the tools it needs to be successful too. In that 14 hours we saw that far too much of Vermont has been left behind. So we need to be willing to do the hard work to level the playing field so we're helping the communities that need us the most and importantly so we aren't pushing them further behind. This is something we've been focusing on over the last six years. And with the support of Vermonters from across the state tonight, my team and I will continue to make this a priority and get back to work first thing tomorrow morning. <laughs> Because today, Vermonters spoke loudly and clearly. They want their leaders to focus on the economy, affordability, and protecting the vulnerable. They want centrist moderation and balance. They want us to be able to debate the issues with civility, seek consensus where possible, compromise when necessary, and agree to disagree when no compromise can be found. They don't expect me to rubber stamp the legislature's initiatives. Just like they don't want the legislature to blindly go along with everything that we put forward. They want a steady, balanced government with less partisanship because that's what gives them the best results. I believe the majority of Vermonters, when it comes down to the problems they want solved, don't really care about the labels. They just want results. They want us to put our work ahead of politics. I think that's where most Vermonters and Americans really are. They're in the middle. Unfortunately, the fringe co coalitions on the right and left are driving the parties further and further apart, and they get the most attention. You know, that's probably why some people say I'm too liberal while others think I'm a secret, hardcore conservative. Some people say they won't vote for me because I have an R next to my name. And others call me a rhino. But the fact is, these labels come from a small number of people on the right and left who don't want to compromise. They'd rather focus on the issues that divide us rather than what unites us. We've got to stop this never-ending cycle in order to move our state and country forward. Think about it. Would you ask your neighbor who, who, who they voted for before offering to lend a helping hand to their, uh, in their time of need? When we sit down to watch a game or a NASCAR race, we don't know, nor do we care, whether the players, team members, or drivers are Republicans or Democrats. We need to view each other as people first. We need to judge people by their decency, their kindness, their generosity, not labels. Because I believe that we may not agree on every issue. The vast majority of people are good. They want to make a difference in their communities. They want to make things better for their kids, family, and friends. And as elected officials, we need to make the people we serve, our priority. It's up to us to treat each other with respect and dignity 
live up to the responsibility we've been given. And remember that our children are watching, and some of them want to be just like us. From the bottom of my heart, I thank you. I thank Vermont for the faith you have once again placed in me. And I promise I'll work every single day to get the results you deserve by listening, learning, and leading. And always putting people before politics. So thank you again. That's all we have for you in this bonus episode of the WCAX election podcast. A lot of folks have asked what comes next, whether we're planning for the pod to continue or change formats since the election is now over. At this point, I have no specifics to offer you, but there will be future WCAX podcasts. I'm fairly certain of that. Until then, stay tuned to Channel 3 on TV, online, and with the WCAX news and weather apps. For the WCAX election podcast, I'm Brett Miller. Happy Thanksgiving, and thank you so much for listening.